this morning, uh, as the children kind of head out, if you don't mind, just go on and turn to John chapter 1. Byron explained to us last week uh, what, what the idea behind Advent was. We, we look at the first coming of Jesus, and we look at the second coming. We, we look back, and we, we think about what Jesus did during his earthly ministry, and we also look forward to what we uh, can expect from his second coming. And so uh, keeping in line with that, as we get into the passage this morning, we're, we're in John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 9 and go through 13. It's a fairly short passage here. It says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, please Use me during this time to just deliver your message. Uh, God, please just hide me behind your cross and, and speak to us through your word. Uh, transform our hearts, change us, draw us near to you this morning. And, and God, as we look back on, on the earthly ministry of, of your son, Jesus Christ, and we look forward to his second coming, please give us hope, please give us uh, encouragement and, and, and just this joyful expectation as we await his second coming, God. We thank you so much for your love and your mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we, we get in the passage this morning and, and we see that John calls Jesus the true light. And so that's going to be our primary focus this morning is as we look back on, on the earthly ministry of Jesus, his first coming, and, and we look forward to his second coming, our focus is going to be um, on light and how Jesus is the true light, how he is the perfect light, the full light of God. And, and so as we look back to the earthly ministry of Jesus as uh, the second member of the Trinity, the Son, comes into this world, he, he puts on human flesh, and he comes to his people, it's very important for us to understand that this Jesus is God in the flesh. He's not a messenger of God. He's not a, a noble, pious man that God, uh, that, that God gave deity to. He is God in the flesh, the second member of the Trinity. And it's very important for us to remember that. And when we look at how Jesus is the true light, you can go to Hebrews chapter 1, if you'll turn there with me. And, and the author of Hebrews um, really tells us how significant it is that Jesus is the true light, that he is God in the flesh. And in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 1, he says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the author of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is, is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. If you, you don't have to turn there, but in Hebrews 10.1... The author tells us that, uh, that the Old Testament was just a shadow of the reality. Because we read there in, in Hebrews chapter 1 
that in the old days, long ago, God sent prophets in the Old Testament to reveal himself to his people. When you read the Old Testament, what you're reading is the, the account of, of these Old Testament prophets. God spoke to them. They then, in turn, revealed that message to God's people, and it was written down. And so the, the author of Hebrews says, long ago, God spoke through his prophets, but now... Now we have Jesus, who is God in the flesh. He's the exact imprint of the nature of God because he is God himself. It's no longer a messenger speaking on behalf of God. It is God himself speaking for himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and so it's so important that we understand that, that Jesus is, is, the, uh, is the greatest and fullest revelation of God that we have ever Receive because it is God Himself. It's not someone telling us about God. It is God in the flesh speaking for Himself. And 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 there's a there's a big difference in the depth of knowledge when you hear about someone and then when you hear from someone directly. Okay, and 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 to kind of help you understand that, uh, about six months ago. Um, a friend of mine uh, named Ben Moore, some of you may know him, uh, he, he started telling me about this position that was open at First Baptist Spearman. Um, if you're a little behind, it ended up, ended up working out. Um, but he, he started telling me about this position, and I guess he told Byron about me too, because he started Facebook stalking me, and then he messaged me, and, and we started talking, but um, here's what happened. Before Byron ever recommended me to... Uh, the youth committee or, or anything like that, Byron and I had a lot of really long uh, phone conversations. Um, some of them were productive, some of them weren't. Uh, but we had a lot of really long phone conversations before Byron ever went so far to recommend me to a committee or, or tell anybody about me. And the reason for that is because he wanted to get to know me on a personal level so that he could himself give, 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 a, give me a recommendation instead of just going off of Ben's word. And, and that's so important because um, I, I trust Ben to accurately represent me. I don't think Ben's going to lie about me um, or anything. I, I trust Ben to um, represent who I am to Byron. However, there's a huge difference between just hearing about someone from someone else and actually having an interaction with that person. The, the depth of knowledge there, the, the difference in, in the depth of how well you know one another is, is huge. And, and so Byron wanted to get to know me himself instead of just coming to the church or going to the committee and saying, hey, Ben recommended this guy. He sounds great. Let's just hire him. Okay? He didn't want to do that because he wanted to know me personally. He, he wanted to know me, not just the me that Ben was, was portraying to him. And so... That's the, kind of, that's the difference between what we're getting from the Old Testament prophets. And I'm not saying that the Old Testament is useless. It's still God's inspired word. Just like Ben's description of me was not useless. It was, it was useful to Byron. But it was not the same as Byron actually talking to me. And, and so the Old Testament is useful. I mean, God revealed himself through the prophets. But we have a deeper knowledge. We have... Uh, we have a more full understanding of who God is, his character, his nature, um, and his will through Jesus Christ than we ever had in the Old Testament. It was merely a shadow of the reality. It was pointing to Christ. It, it was never meant to be the full revelation. It was meant to point to Jesus who would one day come and give us 
this full revelation. Jesus was, was the culmination of uh, centuries of waiting. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 3 at the fall, God promises Adam and Eve a redeemer. He says, you've sinned, they, they were placed under the curse of sin, but God promises them a redeemer. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, man had been waiting for this redeemer to come, and finally, in the Gospels, we see the Savior born, and, and, and this redeemer that was promised centuries earlier had, has finally come. We finally have the full picture. We finally understand the, the character and nature of God in a way that we have never understood before through the law, through the Old Testament, because we have God himself in the flesh among us. And, and so that's what's so important. That's why we call Jesus the true light, because he reveals things. He, he, um, he brings light to things that we were not able to see before. And, and, and so Jesus, when he, comes, when he came to earth, he, he gave us a knowledge of God that we had not had before. It, it was a deeper knowledge, it was a more full knowledge of God than, than had ever been known or experienced prior to his coming. And when, when he came and, and, and he revealed who God was, what he also did was he revealed who man was. And that explains the next couple verses in our, in our text. In verse 10, in John chapter 1, it says, He was in the world... And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now that just, does that not blow your mind? That we have this nation of Israel, they're, they're in slavery for about four centuries um, to Egypt. And God, their God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he, he rescues them from Egypt through Moses. He, he brings them out of slavery. He takes them out into the wilderness, and, and he protects them while they're out in, in the wilderness. It would have been very easy for one of these other tribes that were out there to, to just wipe them out right there. But God protected them. He provided for them. He gave them water. He gave them manna. He, he gave them quail to catch while they're out in the wilderness. God did, did everything for them to bring them out of Egypt. And then he, he protected them. He, he watched over them during the era of the judges, when the Philistines or some other, uh, some other people group could have easily wiped them out. And, and then he, he established the monarchy through Saul and then David and then Solomon. And, and he made them the, this, this awesome kingdom. And then even after he established that kingdom for them, they, they chose to rebel. And instead of, just, instead of just doing away with them, he continued to preserve this remnant he, he continued to preserve the nation, even though they constantly rebelled against him. They constantly sinned. He, he continually showed patience to them. And so this God that was so great to this nation, this God that was so patient and merciful and, and gracious to this group of people, when he comes to them in the flesh, they reject him. They, they don't receive him. And you read that and you think, how is this possible? How could this, this people reject their Savior like that, reject the God that has done so much for them. Well, if you read in 1 Peter, um, it's, it's really not that, not that difficult to see what the problem was. In, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, Peter reveals something about, uh, about the nature of God and the nature of man that explains this really well. He says in verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 2, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, 
and a stone of stumbling and rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So what Peter's saying there is this stone that was, that was rejected, the stone that Jesus being the stone and his own people rejected him, it has become the cornerstone, it has become the very foundation of, of being reconciled to God. It's become the very foundation uh, of being rescued from our sinfulness. That, that stone that was rejected has become the cornerstone, but he also calls it a stumbling block and a rock of offense. And the reason is, since Jesus revealed to us the character and nature of God perfectly. He, he revealed something that, that was veiled to us and we could see God in the flesh. Well, that, what that does is it offends people because when a sinful, wicked human being sees God in his, all of his purity and his holiness standing right before them, they can only help but be offended because of their sinful nature. When they see God standing before them, they can only help but be angry and offended and, and, and want to lash out at him because they're offended because they, next to the purity and the holiness and the light of God, they can see their own darkness, their own wickedness, their own sinfulness. And that's, that's what's missing in a lot of preaching today. We've developed this theology where we, all we want to do is talk about how awesome people are. All we want to do is talk about how valuable we are. Look at what God was willing to give up because he wanted you so bad. Let me tell you, God saw absolutely nothing in you worth saving, but he chose to save you anyway. That's what grace is. That's what, that's what salvation is. That's what the gospel is. We, we've turned the gospel into something that's really weak, really shallow, because we've painted a picture of God like he's some needy high schooler that just has this crush that he's willing to do anything for and he just throws himself at humanity and he does whatever he can because he needs us. No, no, that God doesn't need us. We don't offer him anything. He, he chooses to save a people for himself out of sheer grace. And, and when Jesus comes into the world and he reveals that, he reveals this huge chasm between man and God. He, he reveals how pure and holy God is. And he reveal, reveals how awful and wicked and sinful man is. Man gets offended, and that's because we don't obey the word. The, the religious elites of Jesus' day were, were, were actually really good at exploiting God's law from the Old Testament. They, they would look at that law and, and, and they would um, exploit it. They would manipulate it to make, to make themselves look very holy, look very noble. And they would also compare themselves to others. They would say, uh, I follow this law better than you. That's what they were. I mean, they were geniuses at it. And it gave them all the power because in their mind, they knew the law better than anyone else. And they kept the law better than anyone else. And the truth is, as long as we're comparing ourselves to other people, we're always going to feel pretty good about ourselves. It's only when we compare ourselves to God that we start to realize just how sinful we are. And that's what Jesus did. He, in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, he gives us the Sermon on the Mount, and he just destroys this, this facade that, that the religious elites of his day had. He, he, he said, you've heard that it was written, do not uh, commit adultery. And that's a good thing, but he goes one step further and he says, if you have lustfulness in your heart, you have broken that commandment. He says, you've heard that it's written that you shall not murder, and it's a good thing not to murder. But if you hate your brother, 
then you've already broken that commandment. What Jesus does is he, he takes away the ability for, for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and these other religious elites to manipulate the law. And he says, hey, God looks at your heart. He sees how wicked you are on the inside. He sees how sinful you are on the inside. And that's offensive to those people. It's offensive to tell someone that they're in need. When we think we're doing all right and we don't need any help and someone comes along and tells you that you're not as good as you think you are and, and you're not okay, that offends people. And that's why Jesus wasn't received because when he came, he not only revealed the character and nature of God, in the process he revealed the character and nature of man. And we find that offensive. And so he was not received by his own people. And so... Jesus comes and he reveals God in the process. He offends man by revealing how sinful he is. But the great thing about this is he doesn't just leave it there. Okay, Jesus doesn't show up and say, hey, by the way, you're really sinful and you've rebelled against God and you're destined for eternity in hell. Bye. Okay, he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't leave us just to, just to wallow in the grief and, and the sorrow of our sinfulness, he, he keeps going. And in verse 12 of the main text in John chapter 1, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so Jesus comes. He doesn't just reveal the nature of God. He doesn't just reveal the nature of man. He reveals God's plan of redemption. Like I said earlier, people have been waiting on this for a long time. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, God promised a redeemer, and no one knew quite sure what that looked like. Everything in the Old Testament points to it. We, through the law, we understand that we're sinful. God gives us his standard. He says, if you don't meet that stand, standard, then, then you can't be with me. He demands perfection, and then he sets up this ceremonial uh, system of sacrificing and, and things like that, and we, we start to understand that, okay, a price has to be paid for sin, and all of this is pointing to Jesus, but until Jesus comes, people don't quite understand what the Messiah is actually going to do when he gets here. And so when Jesus comes for his earthly ministry, he reveals that. He reveals the plan of redemption. He says, I am the Messiah, and I am the one-time sacrifice. I am the perfect lamb. You don't have to keep sacrificing year after year after year. I am the one-time atonement that satisfies the wrath of God. And he reveals that to us. He doesn't just leave us to, 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 say, to, to sit and, and just grieve over our sin and not be able to do anything about it. He says, I am the way to be reconciled to God. By faith in Christ, we can be reconciled to the Father. And that's the message that Jesus came to give us. He came to say, yes, you are sinful. You're not as good as you think you are. But I'm going to pay the price for you. And for those that believe in me, for those that trust in me, for those that follow me, there will be reconciliation between them and God. So Jesus comes to bring light to something that had been hidden for centuries and centuries, and, and we finally are able to see the full plan of redemption that God has for us. And, and, and we're so blessed to live in the time that we do where we can actually read the scriptures and we can see the full message of God. We don't have to just trust in some Messiah that we really don't know. We're not sure what, you know, the Old Testament believers, they, they, they were commanded to trust in the Messiah just like we were, but they didn't have the full picture that we do. 
All, all, they, all they were able to do was just trust that God would someday bring someone to rescue them from their sins. They didn't know how that was going to look. They didn't know who it was going to be. They didn't know any of that. And so we are so blessed to have the message of the gospel and know exactly what God's plan of redemption is. He, he reveals his character and nature. We see how pure, how holy he is. He reveals man's sinfulness. And he also reveals his plan to reconcile man to himself. And he does all of that through Jesus Christ. The true light brings light to all of those things that were hidden. But we don't just look back, being Advent, we, we don't just look back to Jesus' earthly, earthly ministry, we also look forward to the second coming. We look forward to Jesus returning. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, you don't have to turn there, but Paul says that even though we have the full plan of redemption, we know, we know how God is reconciling man to himself, we still see dimly as if through a mirror. We, we don't see the completed plan. We know what God's working towards. We know that he's going to renew the earth. We know that uh, those that trust in Christ are going to be resurrected and make, they're going to be given this new body and we're going to spend eternity with God. But we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. The, the whole plan of redemption, we know what it is, but we don't know what it's going to look like when it's finished. But that's what we have to look forward to. We have to look forward to the completion of this plan. And John in Revelation chapter 21 actually reveals a little bit of that to us. And we see this, uh, we see the, the terminology of light brought up again in Revelation chapter 21. Verse 22, it says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so John gives us this glimpse at what it's going to be like after the return of Christ. And, and again, he brings us back to this imagery of light. First of all, he says there's, there's not going to be a temple in, in, in this new city. And the reason there's no temple is because what the temple did in, in the nation of Israel, it, it represented the presence of God. It said that God is here. Well, there's not going to be any need for the temple because after the return of Christ in the new city, when we're in our resurrected bodies, when we're with Jesus for eternity, we're not going to have just one place that represents the, the, the presence of God. His presence will be everywhere. He, the, there will be no corner of the earth that does not have the full presence of God. And so there won't be any temple, and there's no need for the sun or the moon because the light of God, the light of the Lamb, will push out all darkness everywhere. And that's so great to think about because while we understand the plan of redemption, we can read the Scriptures, and we can understand God's work that He's doing and what it's leading to, this waiting period that we're in sometimes is not very fun, right? 
Okay, the holidays are not great for everyone. Sometimes it makes us miss loved ones that we've lost. Sometimes uh, we're, we're dealing with, with an illness. Sometimes we're dealing with some sort of sickness or some sort of financial trouble or some sort of relationship that's broken. Sometimes we have sin that we, cannot get, we can't seem to get rid of, this temptation that's too much for us to handle. We have all of these things that we have to deal with that, that are caused by sin. And so this waiting period, we, we understand what Jesus did. We trust in him. We understand God, God's plan of redemption. We understand what we're working towards. But this, this waiting period gets hard. And, and the hope that we have that from Revelation chapter 21, when we see light everywhere, there's no darkness. We don't need a temple because God's presence is everywhere. What that means to the Christian is that those temptations that you struggle with and you can't, you can't seem to defeat, those are not going to be there anymore. That sickness that you have that you're dealing with, that's not going to be there anymore. The, the, the grief from lo- losing a loved one, that's not going to be there anymore. All those things, all the results of sin, uh, all of the... All of the damage that sin does is is going to be non-existent. It's going to be pushed out. The darkness is going to be pushed out by the light of God. And so I just want to use this to encourage you. This morning, we see what Jesus did when he he came. When he came into the earth for the first time for his earthly ministry, he he showed us who God was. He, He showed us exactly who God was. He showed us God's plan of redemption. He said, you're sinful But through me, you can have everlasting life. Through me, you can have salvation and redemption. And and he gives us encouragement. He says, while you're waiting, while you're waiting for this second coming, while you're waiting for the return, you can hope in what's awaiting you in the future. Everything bad, all the pain, all the suffering, all the grief, whatever you're experiencing right now, one day, for those that believe in Christ, for those that trust in Christ as their Savior, one day... All of that's going to be gone. And and so as we go through Advent and we think about what we're looking forward to, because in the holidays, I know Byron talked about this some, it seems like every time the holidays come around, we we have just this awesome time of Christmas and then New Year's comes after that. And and we just have, it's just this time of really hopeful expectation, isn't it? You know, this year, I'm going to mend that relationship over Christmas. This year... Um, you know, we're, we're going to make things right. And then we have the New Year's coming up, and we say, you know what? Next year's going to be better. N- next year, I'm finally going to get out of this financial hole. Next year, uh, my health is going to get better. Next year, we, we just have all of these hopeful expectations whenever the calendar turns over. And what normally happens is the next year comes and nothing gets better. The next year comes and the diagnosis is still the same. The financial problems are the same. The relationship problems are the same. And nothing ever gets better. Well, the promise of the message this morning, Jesus being the true light and and in the future having the new city filled with God's light, the promise to us is that one day it will change. One day those things will get better. One day those problems and the pain and the suffering, one day those things will go away. And, and all we'll be left with is just the full, eternal presence of God. That, that's what this light represents. It flushes out darkness. It, it, it pushes out the curse of sin. And, and one day, it's just going to be God and his people. 
and the Lamb, and, and, and we will be in His light forever. And that's what we have to look forward to. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. We thank You for the light that is Jesus Christ. And God, I, I know there's people in here this morning that are suffering. I know there's people in here that, uh, that are hurting during this time of waiting. And, and I just want to lift them up before your throne. I just want to ask that you cover them in your grace and, and you just place a hope within them in, in this light that is to come, this ever-present, overwhelming, just all-encompassing light. God, please let them have hope in that. Let them have hope that all the grief and the sorrow and the pain will one day go away and, and all we'll be left with is, is just a pure relationship with Christ and, and just his presence for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.